Welcome to episode number 96 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We bring you the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday from here on out. We promise we're going to continue doing this. I know we've been gone for a very long time. We're going to get you through to 100 episodes. We promise that at least. Again, every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and wherever else you can get amazingly cool podcasts. You can again follow us on Twitter. We're going to pick that up again as well. I think Facebook too. We also post updates there. We have all sorts of other content at thebeardedmarketers.com slash videos slash podcast slash makeup other things. Hit us up with any recommendations for topics you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. But we're back. We're here to stay. We're back, baby. We're back. We apologize. We had to dust off these mics. <laughs> for being gone for so long. For any of you regular listeners out there, you know what's next. Corey, what are you drinking? Well, because this is our Return to Glory episode, I had to pull out the old faithful Moscow Mule, which vodka, lime juice, ginger beer, Gosling's super important. Please sponsor us. Rob, what about yourself? I think you had a weird bubbling concoction out of a uh, lab over there. Yeah, I'm boring. Good. We're running sorely low on uh, <laughs> cocktail ingredients, mixers, Maybe, uh, cleaning liquors. people get into our supplies. I think that's what it is. <laughs> so I'm just running a Coke and bourbon Buffalo Trace to be specific. I do want to point out to listeners though, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time and I know you just said a Moscow Mule. Mm-hmm. I'd like to point out, we were doing that before that was cool. Oh yeah, before it was cool. That's on every bar kids. menu now. Yeah. No, we did that first. I just want to point that out. We, <laughs> we started that proof. trend. Yes, Consult we Consult the, the archives. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so let's go ahead and run down topics. Again, thank you so much for being with us. So for today, we're going to talk about some changes on Twitter and how that might affect your strategy there. I think a lot of people have potentially written off that platform, but they have some new changes that might cause you to maybe want to re-engage. You're going to bring us the details on how we can capture every customer to our website to actually give us money if we're an e-commerce company and talk about why people are abandoning their carts. We're going to get a lot into SEO this episode sprinkled throughout because it is so important. It is a big channel for a lot of companies and there have been some shakeups, even very recent that we'll talk about. The last two items that we're going to talk about that should be interesting discussions, maybe some fireside chats, talking about some landing page issues that you might can avoid. Take some lessons, some hard lessons from those that have found some issues with their site and hopefully avoid them yourself. Also, you're going to be talking about how demographics and video has changed over time and how as marketers, we need to be paying attention to that. And lastly, it would not be an episode if we didn't check in with our folks at Mountain View, our overlords, Google, and what sort of things that they're imposing on us as of late to keep in mind as business owners. Let's kick things off. Why did we take a break, a little hiatus? Well, we have to give a big thanks to our listeners, not only because you give us your ears every week, but as a direct result of Beard Marketers, your response, you as an audience, we were able to leave our career jobs and form our own agency. If you have the time, check out Convince Got a lot of articles on there, but it's an agency that was birthed out of the Beard Marketers, out of the response that you all have so graciously provided and has allowed Rob and I to actually leave our corporate jobs to start our own little company. And it's been a great ride so far. But enough on that. We ain't a show about pitches, except for Gosling's. If you'd like to sponsor us, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into the topic. So first things first, Twitter now has removed the 140 character limit off direct messages. And is, although that seems like a small deal, with the advent of them actually removing the requirement for some 
some to actually be following you, having a reciprocal relationship, this opens up some different marketing angles and communication tactics that you can take with people on that channel. Now, if you're a very verbose typer, you have some very important things to tell people about your business. You no longer have that 140 character limit imposed on you. I would give you a caution to not necessarily over abuse that. Again, understanding the platform. Twitter is short bites of information at a given time. And if you're going on this long copy tirade with your direct messages, understand that people, that's not why people use Twitter and you might lose people. So don't necessarily get greedy with this relaxation of the rules, but I think that this might be a signal as well. I know Twitter actually recently had to change CEOs. Wall Street wasn't necessarily happy with some of the growth, uh, so they actually outed their CEO. But this might be one of those sort of changes that they're taking to re-up engagement for their platform, try to maybe spur on some more growth. So I don't know if you had any comments about that, but it's something of note. I know that some marketers have sort of dismiss Twitter as an advertising and communication channels in some aspects. They find that 140 character limit very limiting or they're just not big fans of the platform. I know we've had some good success, yeah, but something that you maybe need to revisit because of these changes. So I'm not sure what the changes to a DM really changes for a marketer. I mean, I'm a real real personal. I I could see personal users using that or taking more advantage of that change. Please take me Uh, back. I'm going to list out all the reasons right right here. A lot of people use Twitter personally to send a lot of messages back and forth. Wanky, and if wanky. I'm trying to explain <laughs> something to somebody and I only have 140 characters, me personally, I'm not very good with all that new tech age <laughs> abbreviation stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. So no emojis uh, coming from your camp. I had to send multiple camp. messages in a row. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I absolutely refuse <laughs> to send a damn emoji with anything that I do. Send all your emojis <laughs> to Rob. But there have been sort of other workarounds to get past the 140 character limit. Things like, you know, being able to attach a picture or a banner or, you know, attach a video or something like that. You can sort of get around it in a way, but probably a minor change for business people, but a bigger change for Twitter as a whole for everybody else. Well, the time has come for you to revolutionize e-commerce businesses and tell them how and why people are just not converting. They build up these carts. We get so excited. We see our cart contents and our analytics platform. We get so excited. We're going to be rich. We're going to make it rain. But why didn't a fraction of those people actually convert and give us their monies? Well, I appreciate that humble introduction to this topic. We are humble people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this is an article from emarketer.com titled, Why Shoppers Abandon Their Carts. We have some survey results here. I mean, this is something that anybody in e-commerce is very concerned with. I remember about a decade ago, you and I working at an old agency that we used to work together at, did a lot of testing in regards to the emails we would send out to people who abandoned their their shopping carts. Mm-hmm. Now that's sort of a standard thing. If you're not doing it, you are missing out hugely. So insight into why people are actually leaving can greatly increase the effectiveness of those abandoned cart emails, but also potentially prevent them from leaving in the first place. So they have the top one, two, three, four, five, six reasons right here. We're going to play a little, I guess, game here where I'm going to give you the top three and you have to tell me which is the number one reason why people abandon their shopping carts in the United States in April of 2015. All right. The three top reasons are in no particular order. Place the items in their shopping cart to remember for a future purchase. They wanted to see how much the shipping would cost, and they wanted to see the total cost of their order prior to purchasing. You have 10 seconds, starting now. Which is the number one reason? 
Number two. I don't know which was number two because that was a shipping cost one. Okay, <laughs> wanted to see how much shipping would cost. You never get these wrong, so I'm gonna stop playing these games. See, or I'm gonna start doing trick me. questions. <sighs> damn it! All right, yes. So that is the number one reason why people abandon their shopping cart. They just wanted to see how much shipping would cost. And that's 56 percent of people who abandon a shopping cart. That's the reason why they do it. I mean, I have worked in retail for a long time, so I do feel like I'm not necessarily new to the block and that. So it was a little bit of cheating. Well, that was a test. If you'd have gotten it wrong, I would have shamed you endlessly. <laughs> Publicly. Um, number two reason is to see the total cost of the order prior to purchasing. So that would include things like shipping, potential sales tax, and applying any coupon codes. And number three was, sorry, that was at 54%. So fairly close to the number one reason. The number three reason was to put items in a shopping cart to remember for a future purchase, which that's 40%, which by the way, a lot of companies will get rid of your cart yeah, after a like certain 30, amount of time. What kind of sick like trick is that? Yeah. Number four on the list wanted to compare the cost of their order to another website. So similar to number two, I just want to get the total here. Mm-hmm. The next one is wanted to compare the cost to a physical store. So a little bit of showrooming going on. Right yeah, there. exactly. And then the final one was to see if there was going to be any sales tax okay. on this order. How often do you see sales tax on your orders? I don't really pay attention when I buy <laughs> things online. I mean, the total's the total. Uh, no, I mean, I purchase mostly. I mean, this is kind of ridiculous. I would say three out of four purchases online are on Amazon for me. Okay. And I don't really look at the totals for that stuff. I know that a decent percent, I mean, a significant percentage of my purchases on Amazon have sales tax. So the items I'm getting are, are coming from a, a Florida warehouse. But I diversify my purchases a little bit. But to your point, really, it's only Amazon and a few have sales tax. I think, though, you know, that is going to depend user to user based mm-hmm. on where you're at in the U.S. So we're in Florida where there's not a ton of fulfillment centers or businesses located. So we don't incur sales tax very often. But if you live maybe in California or New York or I know Texas has some big hubs, maybe you would come across it more often. Well, I think it's one of those things that is also going to depend on the size of the e-commerce store you're buying from as well, right? I mean, smaller stores probably, I mean, may not even know that Mm -hmm. this is a thing that really matters (laughs) or care, right? Right. I mean, because they're small enough to fly under the radar. I think another key player in that is probably a lot of e-commerce stores that are on some of those Shopify type platforms Mm -hmm. are going to you know, obviously show it more so than other sure. ones. So it's it's going to be, it's one of those things that kind of, I don't know if we talked about this much in e-commerce, but sales tax sort of started being tacked on to everything everywhere. Right. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. So I think that was sort of like a Y2K almost, where mm-hmm. it was built up as this huge, this is going to crumble the industry. But I think as it slowly rolled out, people realized maybe it was a little overhyped doom and gloom. At the end of the day, a lot of people are shopping for convenience, product availability, the things of that nature where sales tax is not necessarily going to be make or break because there are still other factors driving that decision. It's not necessarily that everyone that's shopping online is sitting at a Best Buy and determining, is this going to be cheaper where I could get it right here right now? So I think sales tax certainly does factor into because people are very price conscious, especially in this economy. But I don't think necessarily it's fulfilled the expectations that it would really crumble or make a huge dent into e-commerce. I did want to bring up, because I thought you mentioned it, and it's a good one to just sort of reinforce a little bit, is understanding that 
your customers are able to competitively shop pretty easily. I think that if you shop that's been around for a while, you know, people were a little bit unsophisticated in their usage of the internet. They would sort of fumble around. And that actually led to not as many people converting. Back in the day, internet was still seen as Wild West. People were concerned about the legitimacy of sites. Were they actually going to get their purchases? What happens if they don't ship it to me? As a lot of that has been eroded, so has the increase of people's ability to comparison shop. And I don't think many companies have taken that on as a way that they can incorporate within their site to eliminate the need of that. Maybe that comes in the form of like a money back guarantee. Maybe that comes in the form of you actually listing out average competitor prices, things of that nature. But I do feel as if a lot of companies are hypersensitive to even make mention of other competitors or just laugh them off. Um, And we even saw that actually in a recent speaking engagement we had of how unwilling sometimes companies are to talk about their competitors. But, you know, I think sometimes in that honest dialogue and being more upfront about it, you might see that people are more confident in actually converting with you because you sort of save them some effort. And even if you're the same price, they're on your site here and now. And as long as you have some other things that can help them along the process, you still might secure the sale. So those are all things to keep in mind. I think we've now solved every e-commerce business's problems online. Yeah, I did want to give just a quick couple of takeaways before we move on to the next topic. We have talked about this one for a while, Um, but now you sort of know what the top six reasons are for why someone would leave. What can we do with that information? And Mm -hmm. I had mentioned abandoned cart emails. I think that's one of the easiest ways to use this information. I mean, a lot of these reasons aren't things we can fix, right? It's not a problem with the checkout process itself. It's just a function of how people use websites, right? So taking that information, we know that, hey, potentially offering free shipping with your abandoned cart email is going to have a huge impact because mm-hmm. 56% of the people are leaving to try to find out how much shipping costs. Potentially offering a coupon discount, right? I mean, because the number two reason was to see the total cost. That's not potentially getting at the root cause of why people are, are making those decisions to leave or why they want that information. But using that information, I think, can help convert a significant percentage of those people who had concerns about prices or shipping and left. Well, I think that's like an important point you make. These surveys have not really changed much over the years. People jockeying for the top position always seem to be same characters, price conscious, shipping, things like that. But I think sometimes that is a result of other problems that are sort of being masked or not even really asked in these surveys. So a perfect example is if maybe you work in textiles and you're offering t-shirts or things like that. I see very few sites executing product pages very well in that space where people get a true sense for like fit. How is this going to fit me as an individual? We're all wide array of different shapes and sizes, but what is the quality there? And or if it's a product, how do I ascertain the size of this? Things like this. And all of that culminates, I think, in some uncertainty throughout the visit. And then the breaking point being, well, I don't really know how much the shipping costs are. And so I think it's this comedy of different things that ultimately leads to those type of things being the breaking point. But ultimately, what we should be doing as marketers is increasing their desire for the product and communicating so well that those other problems sort of sort themselves out. They're so excited about this product that shipping and all those types of things really aren't a concern. So even though these players aren't really new, I would still really encourage businesses to do some usability panels and engage users to understand how people are using your site and what are some of their hangups. Because 
yours might be very different than these uh, survey results. So let's move right along. Did want to highlight that and analysts out there, prepare yourself. But Bing has announced that starting this summer, they're going to start encrypting search traffic. And that's a lot of mumbo jumbo. But in layman's terms, what that means is Bing was one of the last holdouts in the search space that would still articulate to analytics platforms the ability to see what people searched on when they arrived to your site. That is no longer going to be the case. So people that do SEO analysis and just general web analytics report diving, you might see some of those keyword type results now essentially go by the wayside, which as someone that loves numbers, I can certainly sympathize, but I think this is just sort of a direct response to some of the privacy concerns that I think are legitimate out there and respecting people's right to use the internet. So just be aware of that. So if you are in your Tommy Bahama shirt, drinking your rum punch drink at your desk, enjoying life, fans going at your cubicle and you refresh your reports and all of a sudden keyword report starts going to hell, just know that Bing is joining suit with Google and starting to encrypt that information. So be aware of that. Next, let's talk about how Netflix is taking over the world, how TV streaming consumption, all those types of things have changed over time and what as marketers we maybe need to take into consideration if we do use those channels or haven't in the past because we think they suck or haven't seen much success. This is another article from emarketer.com. Shout out to them for some really good content especially recently. Basically, a study that they've done on people's usage patterns for streaming video services. Where are people finding these? How are they using them? What are their preferences? And then they have some information on the growth of Netflix, which is astronomical. But even some of the other platforms are still growing. Amazon Prime, Hulu, even still growing. So what kind of... One with ads? Yeah. (laughs) I am a subscriber of Hulu and I do not have a problem with the ads. But basically, what are the implications of some of these changes to us marketers? I think there are some significant ones for some of us. Anybody who's taking advantage of buying video ads on platforms like YouTube or any of the other third-party ones that let you sort of sneak in and throw ads on TV shows that you obviously can't do on a TV set, right? I mean, you have to have huge budgets to get ads to roll on actual TVs. But when a TV show is being shown on YouTube or a third party content Mm -hmm. network, I can get some ads up there relatively cheaply and measure performance and be able to, to target those ads very well. But recently, we've seen a trend instead of paying for, I mean, people still have Netflix subscriptions and things like that, and it's all growing. But we're seeing a trend now towards people purchasing individual services from the likes of HBO Go or some of these other smaller nicher things, subscriptions on YouTube, things like that, which don't allow us to show the ads like we used to be able to. So that little sort of shift is going to massively affect where we can buy ads online and who we can buy them for. I mean, obviously we can still track what people, these people are doing on some of these services, Mm -hmm. but can't throw ads in front of their face like we used to be able to. That's sort of how that's affecting some of our our ad strategies. And I mean, I I also just wanted to get your thoughts in general, sort of on where you think this industry is going. So, because for me, I've been disconnected for a while. I haven't had cable TV in probably a year and a half and sort of run solely on Netflix and Hulu. So you still have TV. I mean, where do you see this sort of stuff going? Well, even though I do have a TV, I find myself watching actual broadcast TV very rarely. I think for the trends that marketers need to be paying attention to, I I believe it's one with this new streaming, people getting better wherewithal on how to use some of these services and alternatives. So you've jokingly made references to our friends' usage of potentially less than above 
board tactics to get said shows, which have gained in popularity and usage. I think some of that is getting curbed as companies respond to not necessarily the issue of people paying money. It's more of like an access issue that they haven't solved. I think HBO is actually doing some great work there and helping solve some of those issues and on demand and people wanting things, but people having these antiquated models and thoughts on how they need to deliver it to people. But those sites, you know, whether it be like torrent sites or other download sites are a viable platform if you want to get in front of some of those users. I think you do have to go through some sketch ad networks to actually get onto those. So just be mindful of that. But also I would make a point and say what shocks me still is video has been out for a long time. So many companies are straight terrible at video marketing and understanding the medium in which you're advertising to. Oftentimes when you are doing video marketing, if it's on a site like YouTube or whatnot, at the end of the day, you're interrupting the user and getting in between them and the content that they actually wanted to engage with. Oftentimes that is given a window in which they can skip your ad. But it's impressive to me how many companies don't actually script, shoot their video or conceptually approach their whole marketing message in these videos to actually hook people and make it worthwhile for them to engage with and maybe take a minute or two out of their time. Or they go the opposite route of they do engage you, but now it's like a four minute ad. You might have gotten people hooked and actually interested in your product. Back of my mind, I'm still waiting for this video that I'm excited about. And you're going on and on and on about this product and just getting greedy with the channel. So I think one, there are still some opportunities out there. They might be a bit sketch, but you might find some good success. But also I think people need to take some better tips on how to actually script right and approach their video marketing and understanding those channels a bit better. But it is good to see the adoption rates going up. I think a lot of marketers have also sidelined video for a while. Their concerns will how will mobile devices work and people on mobile devices won't watch videos and you know all these types of things. And as Netflix, Hulu, all these other types of platform have gained popularity, I think the usage and acceptance of that as a platform has grown. And I think that hasn't grown in parity with businesses. So if you can execute that, and we've seen this actually on the Beard Marketers, it really does set you apart from your competitors and can be a great channel for you. So great to see things growing, excited about what the future holds. I think as businesses, you you definitely need to revisit that, but understand the channel and how you approach that. All right, let's move on. I did want to, there's a post coming out of Copy Blogger, which has some okay content, but there was a article in particular that was a recent one where they highlighted some landing page goofs, as they say, that you might need to avoid. And we're not going to go through all of them. I think it's nine. And we'll tweet out a link as with all the articles that we talk about. But wanted to highlight a few that I see reoccurring more and more and more, but also give you a couple tips on things that aren't really highlighted in here, but I see be common offenders to your site being terrible. So let's go ahead and hop into this. All right, so the first one, and I, th- I think this is, a, is actually a good one, and I believe really a case, as more and more frameworks I feel like have come out and nicer animations and slicker websites and designs, things of that nature, people have lost the concept of clear communication, articulating what people are going to get out of your product. You know, to understand why your product really transforms your life. I think a lot of sites hide behind flashy websites, cool experiences, 
but they don't necessarily hook people. I know I've actually used that word quite a bit in this episode on why they should care really about their product and why it's going to revolutionize their life or why they should give you their hard-earned money. So does your website have a foggy, they call it foggy destination, but I would say unclear value communicated to the user. This is a big one that I wanted to highlight and spend a little bit of time and we've talked about this actually quite a bit on the podcast is they mentioned a disarray of signposts. And this is very common for big business sites. But the concept here is on your website, are you yelling for users' attention in so many areas it's just overwhelming? So they have a picture here on this infographic of all these like signposts on the side of the road talking about deer and ice, speed limit. There's about 10 signs it seems like in this picture. And a lot of times our websites mimic that quite a bit. We got a sidebar asking you to subscribe for our email newsletter. We got a new blog post that we want you to pay attention to. We have three different products lines that we're shouting out. We have a huge menu with all of these effects going on. We also have a carousel slider with all these other marketing message that we're talking about. And finally, we have this smattering of links at the bottom in our footer, along with all of our social links as well. And all of it becomes sort of a mess. And as people come onto your site as new visitors and even return, you sort of feel like you need a treasure map to navigate around the site and understand, okay, there is a lot of things that are screaming for my attention. What is it that you actually want me to do and really guiding me in this path? So objectively take a look, particularly on your entrance pass. What is that experience like? And as a new user, trying to understand how would I make sense of what you're laying out in front of me? All right, the last two that I'm going to talk about getting away from using your own vernacular. And I see a lot of companies you know, sort of talk through their own little industry terms that they've created themselves. I'm sure they're high-fiving themselves in their internal meetings. Like we're gonna make a new term, it's gonna hook, we're gonna be on Wikipedia, people are gonna be using this all the time. And understand when you write your copy, are you getting a little bit too down the road of terms that people don't really understand? And, and speaking more to a conversationalist and to a point where people can understand what you're saying, And a lot of times this is sort of a battle between marketing and legal or so many people trying to give their opinions throughout the copy. But I do think that companies need to take a much more simple approach when they're communicating to people and plainly state what you mean. What is it that you have to offer? And speak to me like I was someone that would normally converse with. Mm -hmm. You actually read your copy as if it were a conversation. And would this make sense? Now, I don't mean that you need to like riddle it with expletive and just make it like you're talking in a pub with someone. But speaking in more of a language that is easy to digest, I think removes some of the frustration people have of people already aren't going to sit and sink a lot of time reading your copy. So don't make it extra complex uh, as I'm trying to digest it because I'm just going to get out of here. Yeah, there's there's three particular ways I see companies... Uh, break that rule. And the first one is huge companies who assume that everyone already knows who they are and what they Mm -hmm. do. So they don't really use much language at all. And when they do, it's very hazy and you're not really sure what they're talking about (laughs) because you're already supposed to know who they are. Second is, I mean, using, I mean, and you've talked about some of these already, but using terms, abbreviations, acronyms, things Mm -hmm. like that, that again, they assume that customers and everybody is supposed to know, but they don't know those things. And then the last one is just using phrasing or messaging or copy that is, you oftentimes see this like companies use a lot of internal language that again, assumes a lot of these things. And then they end up using that language on a website, which makes no sense. 
<laughs> to a lot of people. Right, absolutely. Um, so those are, those are three basic ways I see a lot of companies mess that concept up. So just take a, a critical look at how are you communicating on your website. Sometimes I call it the stepmom or the grandmother test. You know, talk through them and expose them to your website and have them pair it back to you what they actually digested from that page and see if it's actually being interpreted in a way that you expect. The last one, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, check your speeds. We've harped on this a lot on the podcast, but having a slow loading site is unacceptable and something that is an easy fix. You know, some of these items that we talked about are tough changes. If you have a ton of things on your website, that could potentially be a huge political battle. Well, who gets cut? And now we're talking about a huge fight internally. Well, I want my space or whatever. Copy can go through legal and a bunch of other issues. Having a fast site sometimes is an is a very easy fix, but can be one of the huge reasons why you're not uh, getting the conversion rate you want, coupled with the fact that search engines now are getting much more aggressive about penalizing slow sites. That's something you really need to keep in mind. Apologize if there's a lot of background noise. We are in Florida, and it's right now afternoon shower. I'll, I'll take these afternoon showers over the 100 plus oh, degrees yeah. we had uh, a couple hours ago. Yeah, absolutely. So let's close out the episode. We're going to talk about some changes at Google that you need to be paying attention to. Be aware that this week, actually, there was another change to the core algorithm. So there were some shakeups and some rankings. This isn't related to HTTPS, Panda, Penguin, Pigeon, any of the other zoo animals that they have uh, in their stables. This was actually just a core algorithm update that Google did confirm. And there have been some slight changes, nothing major, but they did do an update this week. I do want to remind people that we talk about site speed and SEO and things of that nature, but be aware if you do run PPC campaigns and you run AdWords, that your site speed is also factored into your bid costs and where you're ranking. So if you do have a slow site, sometimes people will say, well, it's not that big a deal. We don't really get that much SEO traffic or it doesn't convert well. Well, if you're also running it on PPC, that is part of your quality score. So it is something that you need to address. And there's actually some good documentation that we'll tweet out on how you need to assess that, particularly on what are some of the page speed insight marks that you should be shooting for. Also, Google is testing a slow to load element. So there have been some reports where we just came out of, I think it was mobile Armageddon, which was this big SEO update for mobile friendly, been spotted in the wild where Google is actually appending a specific message where if the experience that you're going to be taking to people from the search engine is actually going to be slow to load on a mobile device. So they might be getting even more aggressive with their messaging on how usable your site might be on mobile devices, which for us, a lot of our clients are at a 50-50 mix, sometimes even higher. So certainly worth your attention. We'll tweet out a link about that. Yeah, shout out to their uh, page speed tool, I think is oh, what it's absolutely, called. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, it gives you a lot of good insight into how you could, even aside from like upgrading servers and how to speed it up, just how to reorganize scripts on your page to sure. help page load times. So absolutely. definitely check that one out. I'm sure they're using that to help and their uh, page speed algorithms. Absolutely. Uh, last two items real quickly. Maps saving you from a troubled date night. One of the big updates they recently did is if you type into maps that you're going to a specific establishment that has a business 
page with up-to-date hours of operations, it will actually tell you, hey, cool, I'll give you the directions, but heads up, by the time you're going to get there, they're going to be closed. So thank you, Google, for saving us some headaches. Maybe we actually planned that. Oh, they're closed. Let's just have this <laughs> very scenic picnic. Why don't you scoot on over here? Anyways, thanks, Maps team, for keeping us from making some uh, embarrassing road trips. Then the last thing is, so Google a while ago has rolled out some call tracking as it relates to AdWords. A lot of people went, ha cool. We already got a solution for that because yours only goes to the ad level. And that's really not enough for some businesses that really want to get into nitty gritty. There's a lot of great third-party solutions out there. We highly recommend CallRail out there, but Google has responded and now rolled out the ability to track on a keyword level. So you'll roll out a script from AdWords, which will target a 1-800 or any particular phone number you have on your site. Uh, and it will dynamically change that number on a keyword level as people come onto your site. Couple caveats to keep in mind in that you only retain that number for 30, 60 days, I believe. So if people save that number to their phone or whatnot, could actually ring another business over time. So keep that in mind and why a third party still might be something to consider. But also it will only track AdWords. So a lot of people want more dynamic tracking over other channels, things like that. So while this is some good updates to the products from Google, it still might not solve the reasons why you have third-party call tracking, which if you are a business that does offline transactions through telephone, highly recommend you start tracking your calls. Be careful of some of the SEO implications and when you're doing dynamic insertion, but still a very valuable tool on assessing how your channels are doing and landing you sales that might not be necessarily on the site. Woo! That was feature packed. <laughs> we wanted to give you a bang coming back because it's been so long. Sorry about that, but we will be coming at you every week. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, we'd ask a couple things. One, that you'd rate us on whatever platform you found us on iTunes, Twitter means a lot to us, but it helps us grow the show as well. Also, if you found your time valuable, tell a friend, a colleague, or Zara likes to say, a lover perhaps. If you enjoyed what we went through today, feel free to submit your own ideas for the show. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, if you still use that, or you can visit our site directly and send us a line from our contact page. We'd love to hear from you. And most of the time when we hear from our audience, it comes up on the very next show. So definitely reach out to us. Thank you again so much for your time. This is Robin Corey signing off and we'll see you next week. Gia. Yeah.